Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast today is sponsored by Sunny Do in honor of the Kahal and wishing the entire Kahal Haslaha. That was for all you guys, by the way. Breakfast is dedicated also in loving memory of Jack Feldman, Lava Shalom, Lilui Nishmat Yaakov Rafael Ben Rose, Lava Shalom, sponsored by the Feldman family. <clears throat> okay, Rabotai, we find in this week, in this week's parasha, a, uh, a template, a template for all future. Um, engagements between the Jewish people and those who would wish to do us harm. And unfortunately, it is a, uh, a prescient connection, so to speak, uh, that this week we should be reading all about how Yaakov Avinu has to deal with those that would wish him dead. Uh, two days ago, we all unfortunately were glued to our television screens in the afternoon, listening to unfolding reports about how two uh, Rishaim, two lowlifes, scum of the earth, uh, shot a policeman in the head, then drove straight into a, uh, into a Jewish grocery store. And as long as they could, they were saying, we're not saying it's anti-Semitic attack. We're not saying three Jews are dead, shot in the head. It's not anti-Semitic. And then he chose them, what's it called? And then we're figuring out. And then we finally figured out, I still remember the quote uh, that came out of the mayor's office at the time was, um, <laughs> Uh, we, it is, we've, it's not an anti-Semitic attack. All other avenues are open for discovery. Yani, that is not what we're looking for. We're not looking into that. And then it turns out, uh, one second, they shot the police, drove all the way here out of all the places on Mar- a street called Martin Luther King Boulevard. They found the one Jewish store, but it's not anti-Semitic. It wasn't, uh, they just ran into a random store. They drove to that store, okay? And then they chose out of all the stores, they walked into that one. <coughs> And it's amazing how sometimes things that are not anti-Semitic wind up having lots of Jewish people dead around them. You know how being anti-Israeli or anti-Zionist is not, it's not anti-Semitic, it just results in dead Jews. But that's also, of course, not anti-Semitism. It's unbelievable. But Rabotai, to me, even sadder than the two Majnun crazy people, Yemach Shemam Vezichram, that walked into that store, even worse, it was a video that came out of someone that went to the site afterwards. There's a conversation with an African-American woman where she said, can't believe it, I was so worried, my kids were stuck in school. Why did the Jews come here? We never had anything like this until the Jewish people came here. They should get out of here, is what the law, this is their words, uh, because the kids were stuck in school, the kids were scared in school. I don't know this woman's name, but I'd like to talk to her and people like her in today's little Devar Torah. I'm so sorry that it is inconvenient for you for us to stay alive. Michila, I apologize that your kids were stuck in school while we were being murdered. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to wait a few extra minutes to pick up your kids safely while we were being killed. Also, just to have you know, there's a Jewish school right there with Jews also stuck, Jewish kids also stuck in the school. But that I'm sure you're not concerned about. But you, the problem is, we are the problem because we're being murdered. It's unbelievable the way someone could twist, could twist truth, could twist justice, could twist hatred towards another per- per- person. And if any community should have empathy towards the way a minority is treated, that their blood is cheap, is it not the African-American community? Should they not understand and appreciate this? Then during the civil war, during the civil rights movement, where Jewish people were standing side by side fighting for those rights, should they not understand? Should they not feel? 
for us, for where, for the Jewish people that moved to a neighborhood. That, you know, they didn't want to move to Jersey City. I promise you, Jersey City was not their first choice of places to move to. Just like you, just like anyone else in that neighborhood, they got priced out of a more expensive neighborhood. Does that happen to you? I bet you, you also would not like to live in an area which has a lot of crime like that area. And you'd rather live in an area which was safer. But you also couldn't afford it. So you move down there. And then someone comes in to a store, shoots up the people there, and these are your comments. These are the comments that are coming out. Not from the murderers. And this is why it's even more disturbing to me. Because it's not just the murderers. It's the people surrounding also who have some, suddenly the same issues with us. I know, I, I kind of feel that uh, in the story of Esav and Yaakov, Esav sends, uh, Yaakov sends Esav all these gifts. He's sending him 550 animals spread out. Like, you know, please, can we just get along? And then he bows, and that's not enough. In the Beracha that Yaakov got, it said, How many times does the sons of your mother have to bow to you? Once, Yaakov bows time after time, seven times he bows to his brother. Is it not enough? How much more do you want from us? So what is the aftermath? What is the response to a situation like this? How is a Jew supposed to, what are we supposed to do? What's the response supposed to be? So I think people are very confused. Some people will decide that the response should be a political response. We should get close to uh, the government, they should pass laws, and that actually happened one day later. <coughs> Trump decided to sign the law, uh, a law you know, which, which basically includes Jews in the civil rights movement. Unbelievable that, that you have to change a law to get some people to be part of uh, that. It's unbelievable that. But, you know, some people think that that's the response, a political response. I'm not sure that that will do anything. Now you change the law. Did these people with their guns, the reason why they did it was because it was legal. Did they check with their lawyer before they walked in and shot people? I don't know that the political response is the, as, maybe it's part of the answer. I don't know that's the whole answer. Is the answer, is the answer for people to get up and move to Israel? Every time something happens in Israel, what do people say? This is why we should all move to Israel. No one should be, no one should be in Chutzlaretz. That's what they said. Netanyahu came to London. He said, I'm welcoming everybody here. Fadal, come to Israel. After there was an attack. But Mechila, sorry, there's also attacks in Israel. Also attacks in Israel. So that can't be the whole response. So what is the response supposed to be to tragedy like this? What is it supposed to be? So I, I have something that... Every time that there is an attack like this, I try and go to in my head. And that is a very simple thing. I don't know if the response that this response will actually solve the problem. But I think logically it will. And the answer to that is that in the same way <clears throat> that the only reason why a person takes someone for ransom is because they think that they're going to get a ransom payment. What happens if 10 times people kidnap somebody and then there's a law, there's a halakha actually, you're not allowed to pay a ransom. I don't know, do you know this law? If someone, God forbid, is kidnapped and they ask $150 million, 
You're not allowed to pay it. Machloket in the Gemara, if it's referring to the community that's not allowed to pay it, or the person himself. One opinion in the Gemara is, reason why you're not allowed to pay it is because the community can't handle such a thing. Because the minute you pay that ransom once, what happens? They realize, very easy, grab a Jew on the way to shul, gachalas. You can charge a community whatever you want. They'll come together, they'll pay for it. So one opinion is because it's too much on the community. But if that's the answer, so what happens if I'm a very wealthy person, and has for shalom, I have to pay out a ransom, so I could pay it. Because I'm not relying on the community, I'm paying it out of my pocket. The second reason in the Gemara says that even if it's not about Torah Tzibur, the, the weight on the Tzibur to pay it, the actual payment itself encourages more people to get kidnapped. So therefore, if you do it, you're saving your son, but you're putting in danger many other sons. So forget about whether or not I would want to or wouldn't want to do this. The one thing that seems clear from this Gemara is that if I stop paying ransoms, the kidnappings stop. You know why? Because the whole point of the kidnapping is to, is to an end. Rabotai, there's one function of terrorism. One. It's right there in the word. It's terror. If people are terrorized by terrorism, then terror works. And then terror is worth committing. If people are unafraid, if people instead of having the terrorism do one thing, it does the other, what happens to terrorism? It becomes a mechanism that not only doesn't work, it has the opposite reaction. So as an example, let's say in Israel, and I don't know that this is the case, but imagine this was the case. Let's say in Israel, there was someone there's an act of terror, and the response is that now they build more settlements. Every time there's an act of terror, they build 20 more houses. So here you are trying to push the Israelis back. And again, this is not a political discussion here. If let's say as an example, the idea of terror is you want to chase the Jews out of Jersey City. 70 families is too much for you. What happens if the act of terror brings another 70 families? And then Barmanan, there's another act of terror. Another 70 families. The last thing you're going to do is more terror. Now, I'm not saying that we should all move to Jersey City. But what I am saying is that the response to someone trying to make Jews feel afraid is to dial up the Jew 10 times more. So I don't know if you wear a kippah normally to work. Today, wear a kippah to work. I don't know if normally you leave your office to come pray mencha with the minyan. Today, come to pray mencha with the minyan. The response has to be to illustrate that whatever is done actually doesn't work at all. I want to share with you something that I thought was very interesting. In our parasha, Yaakov is preparing for a meeting together with uh, Esav. Okay? And before he prepares for a meeting with Esav, before the war with Esav happens, another war happens. And what is that war? The war is between Yaakov and, and the angel of Esav. Why is Yaakov fighting the angel of Esav? Fight with Esav, fine. Why are you fighting with the angel of Esav? There are two very important lessons here. One important lesson here is that wars are not won and lost here on earth. They are won and lost up in Shamayim Me'al. If the Gezardin, if in Shamayim they decree that someone deserves X or Y, 
then it just plays itself out down here on earth. But really the war is between the malachim and shamayim, so to speak. It's between my merits, it's between my zikhuyot, my tzedkaniyut, between God's mercy, between the judgment in heaven. Everything happens there. It just, it just plays out here. It's like someone who doesn't understand that when in Washington or in Russia or in Poland, someone takes a pen, signs a document, and they think, oh, it's just a guy moving a pen around on a piece of paper. No dib. That document, it planted in the law rent control. That document planted in law conscription to the army service for all Jewish people and to the Russian Tsar's army. That swipe of the pen up in the high courts, so to speak, in the place results in a complete life change for everyone else down here so far away from that high court. So Rabotai, when we see a gezerah happening down here on earth, we need to know that it's happening in Shammai. So before Yaakov ever meets Esav, he meets the angel of Esav. But I want to share one other idea. The Pasuk tells us, Vayivater Yaakov levado Yaakov was left alone. And what happens when he was left alone? Vayavek ish imo. And a man, this angel, fights with him. My, my question always was, the Torah, in the beginning of this parasha, what did it call the, uh, the messengers that Yaakov sent? That means that in this parasha, we know how to say the word malach. So if now it's another malach, just say, Vayavek malachimo. You said in the beginning of the parasha malachim. So say over here malach. And the answer, I think, is magnificent. And it is the understanding of this topsy turvy relationship between heaven and earth, and between cause and effect. And please understand what I'm saying to you now. Yaakov thinks he's alone. That sounds like a sentence that is describing a sequence. But actually it is not. It is a sentence which is describing a cause and an effect. The Mefarshim say that Yaakov looked at Esav, Yaakov me'od Yaakov was very afraid, and he was disturbed. Last week, sorry, yesterday or two days ago, we discussed one pshat, one understanding in those words. But I'd like to give you another one. Yaakov was very afraid. Why should he have been afraid? God promised him he would be safe. God promised him he was going to return to the land of Israel. He had God's promise behind him. Why is he afraid of Esav? One understanding in this, uh, in this pasuk is so piercing. Yaakov was self-aware. Vayira Yaakov me'od. Yaakov was very afraid of Esav. Vayetzer lo. And it bothered him. It bothered him. Why am I afraid? I shouldn't be afraid of this man. I have God's promise. I would wish that my emunah was rock solid. I would wish that I wasn't afraid, but I am. And the very fact that he was afraid of Esav, it bothered Yaakov to no end, because it meant that he wasn't in a place where he could interact with God on the level with, of pure emunah. And God interacts with us in proportion and in parallel to the level of emunah that we have. So Yaakov notices his fear and says, I can't believe it, I'm afraid, now I'm worried. Vayivater Yaakov levado. 
right after this we read, and Yaakov was left alone. Was he truly alone? Was Yaakov ever alone? Is a Jew ever alone? He isn't. Who is with a Jewish person, no matter where he is? David HaMelech says, Gam ki elech Even as I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, Lo I am afraid of no evil. Why? You are with me. So I'm walking alone in the valley of death, but I'm never alone. I'm never alone. Why am I never alone? Because I have God with me. God is with me. I'm not alone. If Yaakov could feel alone, that is the cause, that is the Vayira, Vayi'avek Ishimo. And a man comes to fight with him, but it's not really a man, it's really an angel. God's message to Yaakov is, you have things mixed up. If in Shamaim you're good, down here you're good. If you feel alone down here, then what happens? Then a man can attack you. But really, who is that man? That man is? Will reveal itself to be an agent from heaven. Regardless, that is the case. So for each and every one of us, when we wonder what it is that we should do or respond to tragedies such as this, where people don't want us here, and they're happy not to have Jews in the area, and they're happy to make people afraid and hide, and what's it called? Our response needs to be unanimous. It needs to be um, unperturbed. It needs to be with complete faith. That there have been many, many times where people tried to do this before. You're not the first. You most certainly will not be the last. But in the end of the day, may God protect us. May God make us louder, prouder, stronger Jews. And please God, through that process, and may all the nations of the earth see that the name of God is called by your actions upon you. And they will fear and revere and respect you. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen teheh nishmatam tzirura b'tzror ha'chaim.